Good morning. I want to start by asking you a question. Do you agree with the following statement? So the last shall be first and the first last. I think it's up on the screen. I want to illustrate it for you in, 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 if that works for you maybe uh, a bit better than just reading a statement. Imagine we had a Christchurch fair and race and uh, Jeff at the end of the service uh, approached and no, no, you would be uh, organising the race, Jeff, so you wouldn't participate. Um, and uh, imagine that Jeff came up to you and said, there's a race taking place, a Christchurch fair and race, and there's going to be a prize. Do you want to take part? Now, I'm hoping, so this works, that you will say yes. Um, so you take part, and let's say you win that race. You come first, and then it comes to the ceremony where Jeff is in his regal robes about to award the prize, and you came first. So you're expecting your name to be called, yet you hear the person who's last comes first. So you're thinking, what's, what's going on here? This is a bit odd. And they come up, and Jeff gives them a gold medal. So you're thinking, well, is there like super gold? A gold times two? What's happening here? And then it proceeds that everyone in order from last to first comes up until you're called up is also given a gold medal until you come up last. The person who won the race and you're given a gold medal and congratulated. Surely the world would teach us that this is absurd. You came first. You worked harder. You did better. So therefore, surely you should have got that, you perhaps should have been the only one that got a gold medal, but certainly you should have been the first person to get the glory. Well, today we're going to look at a story from Matthew, and we're going to see that Jesus teaches us an important concept, that the kingdom of heaven does not operate on works, and we should be mightily glad and rejoice that it doesn't. The currency of the kingdom of heaven is the gift of grace. Grace, a gift given to us that is totally unearned and undeserved. And this is the same for us if you followed God for 50 years faithfully or if you give your life to him today. We're the same recipients of this amazing grace. So I'm going to read the passage to us today, uh, starting from uh, verse 30 in the last chapter but then going on, Um, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive straight in. But many who are first will be last, and and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go and work into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. And again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. 
When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give it to, the, to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first and the first last. Father God, I just pray that you would continue to be with us today. I pray that as we look at this story, we would be completely floored by the wonder of your grace, the wonder of what you have done in our lives. And I pray that you would take my humble, few, meager words that I can offer, and through the power of your Spirit, you would just do a work in us today. Amen. So just a recap. We've just read a story about a landowner. So the landowner is symbolic of God in this story. We then have the first workers, those that have toiled all day long. And they are symbolic of the disciples, who Jesus is telling this story in response to. And then we have the 11th hour workers, the last workers. And they're symbolic of someone who's just come to faith, maybe hasn't walked with God for a long time. But they're both in the kingdom of God. And we're going to read, there's three, three headings if you like today. The first is both, they're both recipients of amazing grace. The second is warning, a warning against envy. And the last is grace-filled evangelism. So let's, let's jump straight into the first one. Both recipients of amazing grace. Jesus tells this parable and this story to the disciples because they think they should come first. We see in chapter 19 their response to where Jesus tells this staggering story about coming to God is like a camel going through the eye of a needle, impossible without God. Their response to that is to say, but what about us? We've served you faithfully. We've sacrificed so much. Surely that means we're at the front of the queue when it comes to, in some way, earning our reward. They're demonstrating a pride that they believe they are the first and they should come first. But when you're reading this story, just like I, I talked about the race at the beginning, I don't know, how do you feel? Do you feel that the, the last 11th, the last workers, the 11th hour workers, that only worked one hour, it's probably quite clear to see that they are recipients of grace. They only worked one hour. I don't know about you, but in my job, I'd love to earn the same wage and only work one hour per day. I might put that to my boss after this, uh, sending them this talk. But they are pursued by the landowner, aren't they? They're standing there. They're probably giving up hope. It's the last few hours of the day left. Probably we're not going to get work. We're not going to be able to earn anything. Yet they're pursued by this landowner. I love that. He pursues them. He keeps going out and recruiting more people to work in his vineyards. It's amazing. And then they receive this reward. I mean, I would have loved to have been there. What would they have been thinking when they were given a full day's wage? They must have been bowled over with the love and the generosity of this landowner. He's extraordinarily generous. So I don't think it's difficult for us to say that, yeah, they are recipients of grace. They haven't earned and they haven't worked for the reward they received. But what about the first workers? What about the disciples? Are they hard done by? 
After all, they've toiled in the, the heat of the day, haven't they? They've put in the most work. Well, no. I put it to you that they're not hard done by. Because were they not also pursued by the landowner? He chose to go out to find them, to offer them work. He agreed a wage with them that they deemed was fair for the whole day. They could have at that stage said, no, I'm not working for that price. And they received that wage. So actually, they were also recipients of grace from the generous landowner. But let's apply this to the, if you like, the the context in which the disciples are asking this question. Because the disciples believe that they are deserving, when they're talking about a reward, surely we will get a reward, which primarily in this is talking about the reward of eternal life. They believe that they are first. They have worked hardest. They have been by Jesus' side. They have toiled. They've had many uncomfortable nights sleeping out in order to be by his side. They've also made many sacrifices in their life in order to be able to do this. So they believe that they are deserving of the reward of eternal life because of what they have done. More deserving than those that have come to faith more recently. However, just like in this story, did God not also just pursue the disciples like he pursued someone who's just come to faith? You might want to read back in the Gospels. Jesus came and approached these disciples, some of them fishermen by their boats, some of them tax collectors at their tables. He pursued them. They had no notion, no thought of Jesus and giving up everything to serve him. But isn't this exactly the same as someone, say, like the thief on the cross? So when Jesus was being crucified, there were two people being crucified alongside him. And one, one of the um, people being crucified was a thief. And he was moved. He saw something in, this, this, is, this is God who's dying next to me. I deserve my punishment because I'm a thief. But there's something happening here that I, I've just seen it. Did... Jesus not also put himself in a place where the thief on the cross also came to a revelation? Yes, he did. He came and he pursued both of them. So the disciples have no leg to stand on in saying, we've worked harder because it was entirely upon God's grace that he came and pursued them. But there's also in verse 15, I don't know if you noticed it, there's something really interesting there when he says, is it not lawful? for me to do what I want with what I have. Well, now this is very dangerous territory for the disciples. Very dangerous territory. Because do they really want to be judged by the law? Because what does Romans 6 verse 23 say? That if we are judged by the law. For the wages of sin is death. So if the disciples really want to be judged by their acts and their sacrifices, they're going to face death. So I think it's a very bad road for them to go down in suggesting this, that they can in some way earn God's favour and grace and earn the gift of eternal life. It's very clear, the Bible, that despite all of their sacrifices, and of course, of course God honours their sacrifices and their faithful service to him. He loves that. But the Bible is very clear. They are firmly dead in their transgressions. They have no chance of eternal life 
if it's based upon what they have done. Yet thankfully for the disciples and the thief on the cross and anyone here today, we know that actually there is this gift of amazing grace. And Ephesians 2 summarizes this. Ephesians 2 verse 8 summarizes this really well. So I'm just going to read this to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourself. It is, of, it is the gift of God. So the disciples, the disciples, despite thinking that they have come first, are actually last. We're all last. Before the law, before God, we are all last because of our sin, because of our shame. We all know the things we have done to disobey God. So they're actually last. Yet the wonderful gift of grace, by faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, taking our punishment for our sin, and then we know rising up from the dead three days later, defeating death. It is by faith in that work and by the grace that God has done that for us and pursued us, and that alone, that we can come first. And this is staggering. Isn't this staggering? That we, I don't know about yourself, but I I have moments when I'm just humbled. Normally when I've been horrific to my wife, an absolute pain in the bum, and I just have this moment when I sometimes just want to cry because I think I am just such a horrible person sometimes. Selfishness drives me. Yet, none of that, none of my selfish acts, even now that I have come to faith, none of those selfish acts can take away the amazing gift of grace that I have received. And that is the truth for you today again. And what, what is the reward? It's not a denarius. We're not gonna, I'm not going to hand out a denarius, not that I would have the power to anyway. But God doesn't hand out a denarius to us all, or a hundred pounds. He tells you that if you are in his kingdom, he has prepared a room for you in heaven. And that moves me, because how amazing is it that we have a room for us with the Holy Father? And that cannot be robbed from you if you have received his grace today. And we should rejoice in this. This is unimaginable riches and rewards that we cannot truly comprehend. We can think of it, and even thinking of it moves me to goosebumps and tears. But that's not going to be anything like what it's like. So we see that the disciples are just, as, just the same, the recipients of grace. They were, they were last, but through the amazing grace of, of God, they have come first. So I want to, just a couple of applications to us today. I want to invite you, if you haven't received this amazing grace today, if you're here, perhaps you've been in church settings a long time, and you've fought like the disciples, in some way it's your acts of service that put you in that position, or sacrifice. If you've never truly put your faith in it as a free gift of grace, I want to encourage you to do that today. I want to encourage you to come to me and Jeff at the end. Not because you have to do it through us, but I know we would love to pray with you and take steps to follow up afterwards. I want us to think about maybe confessing our sin today. Perhaps we have fallen into what the disciples have done. We have started to, even though we're saved, that can't be taken from us. Maybe we've fallen into a logic of, in some way, my service does. Does does earn me a a greater reward. Does earn me a, a place further forward at the queue. Because we see that Jesus says, no, 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 humility. 
humility. So you might want to confess that to him today. And I want to encourage us all, and we're going to do this at the end, I want us to marvel in God's amazing grace. I don't want us to just throw it out, as I do too often, about God's amazing grace. Sing songs about it, like we did this morning. I want to be moved by really understanding and encountering exactly how amazing that is. So Jesus reminded the disciples for this story that the reward of eternal life is rooted firmly and only in his gracious gift. But Jesus doesn't want his disciples and he doesn't want us to stay in this basic position of being saved. He wants us to grow in maturity and particularly in our steadfast love for our brothers and sisters. So we move on to warning against envy. You might see in verse 11 and 15, Jesus calls the first workers, he calls them out. He calls them out for envy. Verse 15 is great. He says, is it your envious eye? You see, the disciples don't believe that the newer Christians, they don't believe that the rich young ruler who came before, they don't believe he's as deserving of the grace that they've received. They're envious. In their heart, they have resentment and a discontent towards how can, how can they get the same reward in quite the same way? Surely, surely we're a little bit better than them. We see that, as I said, that, you know, look at their response to the rich young ruler. They're not moved with sadness that he's, he's, he's said that he's not going to give up his money. They're talking about themselves. How can we get to the front of the queue? Chapter 20, when we're going to come on to, two of the disciples have the audacity to go with their mum to ask, can we sit next to him on the right-hand side of him? Outrageous. But we've all fought it. We've all fought it, haven't we? We've all fallen sometimes into this envious heart and attitude. But we also see it as a, envy is a, is a sign of immaturity. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, summarizes this really well. Peter's talking to new believers and he's saying to them, he says this, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander And like newborn babies long for pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I would say to you today that if you know, if you have that gift of amazing grace, praise the Lord. That cannot be taken from you, that cannot be stolen. But I would encourage you today to seek to grow to seek to grow out of this envy, to throw off this this sin of envy and to try to to mature. And how does it say we do do that? It says it in 1 Peter 2. It says that we should long for the pure milk of God's word. So what what does that practically mean? How do we we not envy? How do we we find ourselves doing that? Because even though we're saved, we still have the temptations to, to look down on Um, people who haven't been Christians for as long as us. How do we do it? And if we look at Titus, the book of Titus is is wonderful on this. Talks about us having the grace to say no. Grace to say no to envying others. And there seems to be a link between when we focus on the amazing grace of God in our lives, as we meditate on that more, and we think about it more than we do about our selfish um, comparisons, that actually we mature as a result of that. We grow because we're aware of how we haven't worked for our grace, 
and that affects how we affect other people. And I'll just read Titus 3, verse 7 to 8 to us. So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This statement is trustworthy and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and beneficial for people. So it's as we grasp hold of a fact that we are heirs. We are heirs. That When we grasp hold of that, when we focus on that, it changes us because it humbles us. It lets us remember that we were last. So therefore, how can we, how can on earth can we despise our younger brothers and sisters in Christ? How can we envy them? They were just as undeserving as us. And as I was preparing this, actually, I really felt the Spirit say to me, specifically for this context, that, the older brothers and sisters, and what I mean by that is the, those that have been Christians for a longer time, do not despise your younger brothers and sisters. Do not despise your young brothers and sisters. We, we, we cannot fall into this path because it is sinful. It's not, it's not godly, but it can also be really impactful in a damaging way. And Titus 2 is great. Titus 2 is a call to the older brothers and sisters in the church to say, actually, do the opposite. Do the opposite. Get alongside those that might be younger in faith and help them grow and love them. Show them the same grace that God has shown you. But I also, there's, there's one scripture that also came to mind where Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he tells them above all things, above all things that you can pursue as a church, pursue love and pursue excelling in love what is one of the things that love does not do it does not envy we really need to hear this I need to hear this that we don't fall into this it's prevalent in this story they're both getting the reward even the grumbly um, envious uh, labourer walks away he says take what is yours he still has his reward of salvation but he's given a stern rebuke for his envy so perhaps today, when we come later on, perhaps today is a chance to confess your envy. Maybe you've struggled with that. That people in the church maybe have other roles. Maybe they've been Christians for a less time. They've got less experience in an area, yet they're serving in that area, leading in that area. You might think, I could do better than that. I've got more experience. Well, let's confess that to the Lord. Let's, let's open our hearts that if there is any of this in us, that we like Titus says, that we can throw it off. Meditate on the truth today. Let's meditate on the truth today that we are a new creation and that we have the gift of grace that helps us to say no. And let's pursue love and unity amongst the body of Christ. You know, the Bible speaks so much about unity more than it does division. Yet I know in my heart, my mind goes so often to what separates us. You know, at, an end of, at the end of a service, do you think about what wasn't done as well or is that the first thing that you spend most talking about after the service or is it thank 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 the lord that i met with him today you know that brother and sister in the church that is being a bit of a pain to me at the moment thank the lord for them because they're my brother and sister in christ let's pursue this 
And as I said, older brothers and sisters in this church, please, let's get alongside our um, those that, that are precious gifts that have been given to us, that are younger in their faith, and let's help them grow. Um, not in a, in a forceful way of, I know the way, walk in my way, but actually, I don't. I haven't deserved this. I haven't earned this. But I'm willing to get alongside you and share some of what I, I've picked up and ultimately meet together to pursue God and pursue that pure milk of God's word. So we've seen that we're all recipients of amazing grace. We're called to maturity, walking in increasingly love, love and unity, and to throw off envy. That's not godly. It's not what mature Christians should be doing. But we're also commissioned to do work for God. So it doesn't end there. I love this. I love Ephesians 2. I'm going to read it out to us. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship. I mean, you could spend a whole sermon on that. We are his workmanship. Wow. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. For himself, a people for his own possession. I've changed. Sorry, I went on to Titus. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So you have your gift of grace. You have your gift of eternal life. Hallelujah. We rejoice in that. But you've also got work to do. You've got good works that God has set out for you to do. And what are one of these good works? Well, we see that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, all Christians, not the holy rabble, not the holy disciples, all Christians are called to go out and to make disciples and to baptise and to teach. One of, that, one of our good works that God has prepared for, one of our privileges, is that we get to go and share the amazing grace that we have received with others. And in this parable, we see, don't we, we see that there are some standing idly by. It's mentioned a few times. Particularly, I think the last one's where it says, verse 6, seven, 6 and 7, why have you been standing here all day long? Well, no one came. We know today that there will be thousands and probably millions in Pharaoh, in our nation, in the world, who are standing idly by. They do not have their eternal reward secured because they have not received the gift of grace. And knowing the perilous outcome that awaits those that stand idly by, that it is separation from God for all eternity, we must surely be moved. We must be surely moved, not just to take our gift of, gift of grace and say hallelujah and run off and say that's it, we're going to bury that. We must surely be moved to be to be challenged in the way that actually there are many at the moment that are they're, they're going to be last and they're going to stay last there are some that are they think they're first they think they're going to get an eternal reward you know Matthew 7 verse 22 really rung loudly to me when I was preparing this bit you know those that say but we prophesied in your name we did miracles in your name I did not know you their works and their service, they believe, is what has gained them that reward. So let us, let us really take up the charge. Let us really take up the charge to take this amazing message of, get, of grace to all that will hear it indiscriminately, with humility, knowing that it's not us that does the saving. 
I want to encourage you. You might have had terrible experiences where you think, I've done an awful job sharing the theology of faith and how you come to faith. You can share your story. You can share what God has done in your life in the way that you understand it. Don't look down on yourself. Don't feel despised that because you might not be as eloquent as some of the members of church, that your, your evangelism, your sharing of the good news with people is any less valuable. And also, be, be released that it is God that does the saving. It's not us. We've read that. It, God's amazing grace. It's not because you've done a bad job or a good job that someone has come to faith. I remember once, actually, at Christian, at Christian camp, um, there was someone who was uh, sort of battling with not sure if they wanted to put their faith in, in Christ. And uh, they made a, a commitment to do so. And I, I tapped my friend on the shoulder and I said, I'll take a bit of credit for that. I said, I played a role in that. And it was, it was outrageous because I wasn't saying, praise God, I have had a, a, a role to play. I genuinely was showing pride. Um, so let's not do that, but let's, let's faithfully take his word. And let's not assume that people have heard it. Let's not assume that people have heard it and people have received it. And they might be people that have been in your churches for years, that you have known, that have been going to church for years, that have never truly understood and received this amazing gift of grace. And I know that it's so easy when we come to these types of things to think about how can, um, you know, yes, yes, I want to do that. Yes, Jason, it sounds great. Take a moment to actually think, who, who am I going to go away uh, in the coming week and, and, and really try and, and share someone, uh, share this message with? Who am I going to ask a, a question to at work um, or um, via text or whatever, WhatsApp, to try and stir this conversation? Because these are good works that God has prepared before us that we will be walking in. And I find that amazing. You know, do we start, I try to start days by saying, Lord, you have prepared good works for me. Let me not be distracted and let me walk in them. Let me give myself to you in that. Because it's just so valuable. It's so valuable. And it's so important that the same, the same love and the same way that God pursues in this story, but we know in real life he pursues each and every one of us that know him. We need to show that eagerness as well to take this message out. So today we've just looked very briefly at the amazing grace of God that he lavishes upon his children. We were well and truly last. If you leave with nothing else, please leave with that we were last. We weren't first. We can act like we're first, but we weren't. We were buried, we were dead in our transgressions. But through his grace, we have come first and we inherit eternal life. There is a room for you and I up there in heaven but as we see we need to throw off envy we need to grow let this grace change us grace to say no to envying our brothers and sisters and we need to pursue love and unity in our church and we also need to take this message to share it with all of those that are standing idly by so I'm just going to pray for us then there's going to be two responses we're going to respond with communion Communion is such an appropriate response. It's a declaration of remembering what Jesus has done for us. That grace which we have received, we can rejoice in. And then John is going to come up and just gently play 
and we're going to sing Amazing Grace together, one of my favourite hymns, which I want us to bellow out and I want us to wake all the houses around Fairham up because on this day, you know, this, this group of people were just so moved by how God's grace is so amazing in our lives. So um, I'm just going to pray for us and then um, I'll lead us through the rest. Father God, it is in your love and in your patience, just like with the disciples, that you have come and you have pursued us and you have given us, through your grace, unimaginable riches, the reward of eternal life, the reward of life with you now and all of the joy that that brings but that we have a future secure in you. And I just thank you so much for your amazing grace. I pray that you would help us to trust in you and you alone. I pray that if there are any areas today where you have been brought up in that we we have seen that we have been trusting in some ways, indicating that we should be first, I pray that you would humble us. I pray that you would lead us in a time of confession. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to throw off envy in life, but in our church. I pray that you would help us, Christ Church Ferrum, to to grow as a community where we love one another and where we continue to be unified evermore. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to put people on our hearts now. I pray that even as I pray, you would be putting people, names of people, on people's hearts that they are going to go and share this gift of amazing grace with. Thank you so much for your precious grace. Thank you that we were, for, we were last and yet we outrageously, by the scandal of grace, come first. Let us rejoice, Lord. Amen.